When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's fair to say new Edmonton Oilers head coach Ken Hitchcock got a very good taste of the challenge that awaits him as he tries to figure out what he can do to set the struggling team on the right track a week after he took the coaching reins from the fired Todd McClellan. And there's a lot for Hitchcock to do, and he's already started. By double-shifting Connor McDavid 5-on-5. By establishing an identity line for Milan Lucic, who continues to suffer through a perplexing scoring drought, Kyle Brodziak and Zach Cassian by summoning Jesse Pugliarvi from the AHL to get a first-hand look at the struggling third-year winger with a high-test set of hockey tools. With other teams who had gone through a rebuild phase at the same time as these Oilers finally realizing success, like the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Buffalo Sabres, is there anything Hitchcock, the third winningest coach in NHL history, can do to jumpstart flailing Edmonton? I'm Craig Ellingson, and this is the Oil Spills Podcast for Tuesday, November 27th, 2018. I ask Oilers beat writer Rob Tichkowski of the Edmonton Journal and the Edmonton Sun about Hitchcock and the work he's done over the past week while on a three-game road trip to California, which started with an overtime win in San Jose, continued with a late-game collapse and loss in Anaheim, followed by a mediocre effort and another loss to the last-place Los Angeles Kings. Are we watching a repeat of the sputtering Oilers show we've been watching now, 2016-17 aside, for more than a decade? Is it too much for even Hitchcock to handle? Ken Hitchcock has had a good glimpse at what ails his new team, what works and what doesn't over his first three games behind the Oilers bench. Uh, let's start by talking about how Hitchcock uses Connor McDavid. What changes are we seeing and uh, what can we expect to see, do you think, in the coming games? Uh, his philosophy is to, to play him a lot and and play him to his strengths like to to you know in the past he's seen some time on the penalty kill and such hitchcock's not a big fan of that neither am i i i don't think you should ever you know risk losing your good players to a broken hand or a foot from from blocking a shot that's it's kind of grunt work he wants to play him a whole bunch you know as his first line center and then uh kind of a, a unique thing is that he will double shift him if you're not getting a lot of power plays which you others don't uh, a couple of games on that trip they had one power play in one game, two on the other. So if, if there isn't a lot of 
five on four time for the Oilers, he will just double shift him on the fourth line and uh, put him, you know, between two, two, two fourth line guys to give him the extra minutes and, you know, maybe catch the other team a little bit flat footed, you know, if it's suddenly fourth line against fourth line, but your fourth line has McDavid as center. Uh, that could work a little bit. So, you know, he said that he he won't mind seeing him up into the 23, 24, even 25 minutes a night range as long as there are, you know, minutes that Connor McDavid can can kind of flourish in. And in today's NHL with, you know, every five minutes there's a TV timeout. There's long breaks between everything. There's not a lot of hitting in the NHL anymore. It's not very intense or physical. There isn't hooking and holding. Skilled offensive players can play more minutes. It's not like it was... 10 years ago where you had to battle for every inch of ice and you were taking hacks and, and, and being hooked and held and, and there were constantly scrums and, and everything. Now it's, it's not quite shinny, but it's not the way it was when you had to play the really, really hard minutes. So, you know, he, he wants to use McDavid a lot. He's got the, uh, the best player in the world who has fantastic cardio. So why not take advantage of it? And that's his philosophy there. And using uh, McDavid on a fourth line, I mean, those are, are those players, can they compliment him? They have to keep up somehow. I, I mean, we're, I imagine we're using the likes of, you know, maybe not Cassian and uh, Lucic since they're skating with Brodziak. But, you know, there's a reason why McDavid skates with certain players or we you know, try mm-hmm. to match him with players who compliment him. Yeah, so, so on the fourth line, which doesn't play much aside from that, like the, the Cooper Marodi was in the three-minute range and Ty Ratty was in the, in the five-minute range. Hitchcock doesn't play his fourth line a whole bunch. You know, he's got a, he's got Jujar on there, Jujar Kara, you know, who kills some penalties and such, but he will try to put, you know, a semi-skilled guy on that line. Like he had Raddy there last game. So when McDavid drops down to the fourth line, it's suddenly McDavid and Raddy, which, you know, in, in not long ago was Edmonton's first line. So it just shows you the state of the team and the, the difference between the first and the fourth lines is, is, is that slim, but yeah, he'll drop him down there and, and he'll have a fourth line guy who can put a little, theoretically has a little bit of an offensive bent to his game. So uh, what is it this time? It's, you know, Spooner, you know, so who was just up on the first line last game. So, you know, it's not a fourth line in the sense that, you know, you've got these kind of muckers and checkers. It's it's a fourth line. It doesn't play a whole bunch except when, you know, uh, McDavid is down there uh, double shifting or one of their guys is on, is on the PK like Jujar Kara or occasionally literally two shifts a period where the fourth line goes up by itself as, as a unit. You know, I, I could probably just run off the list of every player on the Oilers roster and say, how is Hitchcock going to treat this guy or that guy or whatever? But, you know, we don't have all day. Sure. Uh, but, yes, Pugliarvi was called up by Ken Hitchcock from Bakersfield. I mean, Pugliarvi went down, what, not even two weeks ago and has play, played four games with the Condors. And then Ken Hitchcock says, hey, bring him up to play uh, in L.A. And so we got to see him. What's uh, Hitchcock's uh, reasoning to do that? I mean, he was, Lee was sent down to get time, but, you know, clearly, uh, you know, they hired Ken Hitchcock to change a few things and obviously try to get the best out of players, including this guy. Yeah, well, it's funny. When he was up here, he he was, you know, a lot of times he would skate around, not quite aimlessly, but didn't really, didn't really seem sure what he was supposed to do. Um you know, so they, so they send him down and, and, you know, you think it's going to be for development purposes to get him to be a more complete, hardworking player. So they, they call him up four games later and it's, you know, actually it was, you know, to just to get his confidence up, you know, they're saying, and they did, they did say it at the time, you know, let's get him down there, get his confidence up, you know, see what he's all about. So he went down there, had four good games. 
And uh, Hitchcock just said, you know, I, I want this guy's a big player who can skate. He's he's still very very raw, which he shouldn't be, you know, three years into his career. But he said, let's get him up here and let's work with him at this level because going down to the AHL and scoring a bunch of goals doesn't mean anything. That's not what the issue is with this kid. It's that, that he doesn't play a, a full game. So, you know, Hitchcock says, let's get him up here, get him in our system and start uh, teaching him again. And, and one of the big issues that Hitchcock has with him is that, you know, on offense, when he has the puck and, and you know, he's cycling or on the rush, he's, you know, he's, he's a decent player, like all offensive players kind of know what they're doing in that situation. The issue with Pugliarvi is that he wouldn't, when he didn't have the puck, he would just sort of float around and casually, you know, wave a stick at people. And he wasn't especially tenacious trying to get the puck back or, or uh, you know, on the forecheck. If, if he didn't get you on the first attempt, uh, he would sort of, he would give up and then kind of just skate behind the play trying to catch up. Whereas, you know, you remember that Ryan Smith would just never quit. He would, he would always be on you hounding and hounding and hounding trying to get the puck away from you. And oftentimes he did. So Hitchcock, this is a valuable asset and, and Hitchcock wants to see if he can, he can get something out of him because if this, if Pugliarvi ever becomes the player that they envisioned he would be when they drafted him that high, it's an outstanding player, but he's just not there yet. But to be honest, this isn't anything McClellan hasn't done. Like uh, people are saying, well, you know, this is so great to hear Hitchcock talk about, oh, this is Jesse. We got to really work with him. We got to get him up. He's a really important guy. I was going through my line book from last season, Hitch, and, and McClellan played Pugliarvi on the first line 19 games, and he played him on the second line 12 games. That's almost half the season he was in a top six role. So, so any sort of narrative that he didn't get a chance under McClellan is, is it's not true. He, he, he played a lot of premium minutes under Todd McClellan and just didn't do a whole lot with him. So this is a, a kind of, def, of a defining period for Jesse Pugliarvi because if he can't get it done with Ken Hitchcock, and he couldn't get it done with Todd McClellan. Suddenly, two of the better coaches in the game today decide that he, you know, doesn't necessarily have it. Then it's all about okay, maybe this kid. That that's when you start to worry that he isn't who they thought he is. Um, you know, we're not there yet. We're a long, long way from from being there yet. You know, he's just getting his fresh start with a new guy. I would give it a couple of months. But if after a couple of months you don't see marked improvement in this kid, I would start to worry about. Uh, what his future holds. You know, I can't help but think, but and we've talked about this in previous podcasts this season, you know, the Neil Yakupov example, um, slightly different since Yakupov, you know, he played, he was on the Oilers roster the entire time uh, and played a lot of first line minutes. But then again, you're, you spelled out that Pugliarvi certainly had his shot as well. Mm -hmm. But at what point, at what point do you point towards, the Oilers retarding his development, you know, they somehow, some way uh, by keeping him in the wrong place, I guess. I mean, or maybe this team is just, isn't the team for him. Mind you, the Nail Yakupov example, he goes off to St. Louis and Colorado. And of course it didn't work for him there either. So, you know, the, spoiling the apple, I suppose is what I'm, I'm yeah. trying to get. Well, it's, it's uh, you know, Neil Yakupov, everybody said, you know, the coach doesn't like him. And he went through, I don't know how many coaches at Edmonton. It was yeah, it'd be a different time, right? Three or Aiken. so, yeah. Dallas Aikens is no Ken Hitchcock or Todd McClellan. No, no, absolutely not. And there were stretches. I mean, uh, Todd Nelson got a little bit out of him. But, you know, he played for three different teams, and all three of those teams came up to the same, came up with the same conclusion, that this, this guy does not think the game well enough. He doesn't play well enough within the team structure, and he's not even in the NHL anymore, first-round pick. Uh, 
classic colossal bust. Now, Pudi Arby's not that guy, but you have to – it's on the player. Like, he's he's – you know, he spent a lot of time in the minors. You know, that should have helped him. He spent time up here. And it doesn't it doesn't matter where you play in the lineup. You, if you're in the top six, okay, you're expected to do one thing. If you're in the bottom six, the bar is a little lower. You're expected to do another. And they said, we don't need you scoring a whole bunch of goals if you're in that third or fourth line role. We just need you playing a certain way to round out your game. Uh, so do it. And, and, you know, we're three years into it now. And this is another chance and a fresh start. And I think maybe him being sent down lights a fire under him. We'll see. But uh, at, at this point, I, I think it's on Pooley Arby to just be a better, more hardworking, more complete player. Uh, he's had a really good coach in McClellan, give him every opportunity they could. He's had time in the minors. And now he has another coach uh, in Ken Hitchcock uh, saying that I'm going to take this guy under, under my wing and do everything I can to make him uh, a player because again he's he's a big guy he skates well he's got a tremendous shot he's strong if you can get him to be what a player with all those skills should be you're looking at a, a guy who can be a game changer and can you know help get this franchise headed in the right direction but i'd say right now it's all up to pull the because everybody wants him to succeed it's not like some of it's not like the organization is trying to hold him back like mcclellan and the coaches are saying you know this guy could help us win, but, you know, I don't like him, so I'm going to keep him on the third and fourth line at the risk of my own job. Everybody in the entire organization wants him to succeed and is doing everything they can. And they see him from the inside. They talk to him in meetings. They watch him in practice. So, so they're making the decisions based on that information, which is a lot of information that other people never really see, frankly. So, you know, the, the criticism that, that somehow the Oilers are holding him back, I don't think holds a lot of water. They're, they're not a great organization when it comes to developing talent, but a lot of that maybe stems from the fact they're not very good at drafting that talent. So, I mean, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other, maybe. You know, and I'm going to ask, talk to you about Milan Lucic. I mean, obviously he was a big high profile, high pro, I can't talk today, high profile signing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, who was supposed to come here and somehow fill the Taylor Hall role and score a few goals. And he's another poster boy along with Pugliarvi as, you know, the struggling forward who can't score. And, you know, Hitchcock, he put him on the so-called identity line now. That's what he called it with uh, Brodziak and Zach Cassian in an effort to jumpstart his game. And I guess all three of them. Yeah, it's been a long, like he had, when they first signed him, he thought, okay, you know, I could, you know, the Oilers were a team that got, you know, pushed around a little bit and you know you could see that uh, i could see you know why that he why shirelli wanted to, to to bolster the oilers a little bit and for one year it was fantastic you know the year that they made the playoffs and they had lucic and maroon and, and cassian and darnell nurse they were a big heavy team that had control of the puck and cycled it and uh you know really you know pushed teams around intimidated teams and had a lot of skill and they were hard to play against you know they, they would beat you up on the forecheck and then everything dried up maroon lucic cassian uh and you know cassian or sorry lucic i mean that's a brutal contract if you if you strip away the money and say you know this guy's making you know two and a half or whatever to be a third line guy who makes sure that nothing happens to mcdavid and in games like the the against the flames you know nobody's going to do anything he settled them right down he and cassian games like that the others never have to worry about The, the fact that he's making six is kind of tough and he's got like four or five years left on that deal is, is, is brutal, but because he's not going to be, 
you know, if he's not scoring now, how good is he going to be in three or four years? Uh, you know, I just, I don't know how it dried up because he, he gets his looks, he gets his opportunity, he gets his shots, but they just don't go in. Everything hits the crest or hits a leg. Uh, it's, it's crazy, but it's going on, you know, two goals in 69 games or something uh, along those lines. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's terrible for, for a guy and it's, it weighs on him. And then, you know, he, you know, his mood gets a little bit sour and he's, he's trying to stay positive, but you know, he, he has to know that everybody's saying, you know, what's, what's with Milan Lucic. He's, he's a guy who scored, you know, 25 in the league before, and now he struggles to get one. Uh, one thing though, like he should be out there after practice every day with 30 or 40 pucks in and around the slot area, just snapping pucks into corners and sides and just getting that, that muscle memory down. I don't see a lot of that from him. I see frustration and he talks about, you know, changing routine and sticks and everything like that. But if you want to be good at finishing from around the net where he gets a lot of his opportunities, you have to stay after practice and, you know, 50 pucks after every single practice. And then some of those looks you get, they're going to go in because you're, you've, you've, you've worked on that skill and that's, that's where he's going to score from. Like people say that his, you know, it's because of his speed and everything. He was never a guy who scored off the rush. He was a guy who, planted himself around the net, fought for position, and then banged in those rebounds and, and or, or the you know the, the quick shots from in close. He's still getting those looks, but they're just not going in. So you, you have to work on your shot from in close. That's plain and simple. Now, Hitchcock's teams have historically been known to be defensive-minded. Um, you know, obviously, Hitchcock's career spans, you know, more than 20 years. We're talking about a completely different NHL when he uh, started coaching the Dallas Stars in the mid-90s, and, of course, those teams had the likes of Sergei Zuboff on the blue line, along with Darian Hatcher, Richard Matpachuk, et cetera. And, of course, the Oilers don't have that defense. They don't have those players. But Hitchcock did help develop those guys into what they became, eventually winning a Stanley Cup. Now, where does Ken Hitchcock start with this defense? We've got, you know, we don't have a bona fide number one defenseman. Uh, who can, you know, quarterback's power play. I mean, maybe Oscar Clefbaum one day will grow into that, but he's already in his mid-20s. On and on. We This is a team which, that has, you know, as you've written before and many people have said before, we've got Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and a whole lot of guys who are right now second, third-line players. And all of those, you know, the defense doesn't have a stud. What is What is Hitchcock's, you know, He's got an uphill battle with this defense. Yeah, you, you look at the, you look at this roster, and and it's boy oh boy, this there there isn't a lot to work with. There's some there's some glaring holes uh, in in this team. So he wants to, you know, just get everybody playing that really tenacious uh, forecheck and backcheck and and hound the puck constantly. And if if you have some speed and you have the willingness to do it. You can't do it, but uh, we saw just already in the last two road games, you know, like I think the biggest issue on on any team is that you have to get, you have to have the ability to score three goals in a game. If you don't do it, then afterwards, you know, you lose, you know, 2-1 in overtime like the others did or 3-2 or before the empty netters did in, in Los Angeles. And, you know, you're cursing your mistakes, but when you only score one goal, yeah, you're going to be at the mercy of your mistakes. And and every team makes mistakes, and every team is going to give up a couple of goals. So, 
as much as you want to focus on the defensive side of things, and the Oilers have some problems there. There were some just some glaring mistakes on all three goals uh, against the Kings. You know, not counting the empty netters, just people left wide open. And you have to absolutely shore that stuff up, and, and that comes through film work and, and repetition, and and the players just wanting to buy in. But at the other end of the spectrum, this team has to score more goals, and they have to come from somebody other than than, than Connor McDavid. You know, there's. You know, Chason's hot, but everybody else is ice cold on this team. Nobody's getting any offense done. And, you know, if you're, if you're looking to win 2-1, you're going to lose way more than you win. Like, they do need to shore up their defense. They're giving away a lot of easy ones and, and free looks. And just, you know, they work so hard to score their one goal, and then they just give it away just really easily for no reason to, to tie it up or fall behind. So, like, listen, it's a it's a it's a – Bad organization that you know missed the playoffs forever, and there's a, there's a lot of holes on defense. There's a lot of holes on offense. There's a there's a lot to do. You know, and I said this is a defining moment for Puljujarvi. It's also a defining moment for the Oilers. If you got Todd McClellan in here, who can't get this this team to go anywhere, and then you bring in Ken Hitchcock, and he can't get this team to go anywhere, then you know, then what? People are going to be looking at this and saying, "Oh, okay, you know, this there's not a lot of hope for for this organization." So. Yeah, I think the next month, couple of months here, seeing which way the Oilers go uh, under the new regime, whether they kind of pull it together and, and stay in that playoff hunt, or they fall off and and become you know the the Oilers uh, of the last eleven or twelve years. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see that because if if this thing goes south again, it might stay that way for a long time. Yeah, we've been talking this way for. Years. <laughs> yeah, 11 of the last 12 years. They missed the Except playoffs. For and, yeah. I, I think they finished 28th or lower, you know, eight of those years. It's just, you know, you look at Buffalo Sabres, where they finished below the Edmonton Oilers heading into that draft lottery that the Oilers won. So the Oilers get Connor McDavid and they get uh, Eichel. And, you know, here they are. They're, they're competing for, you know, fighting for first place in the East. Well, the Oilers are back in their usual spot. Toronto Maple Leafs are, were a rebuilding team that was said to be right on par with the Edmonton Oilers at the time. They've left them in the dust. All of these teams have managed to rebuild their organizations very quickly, well, quickly three or four years, and, and they're legitimate and, and doing what you should do with draft lotteries and scouting and rebuilding, and the Oilers are stuck in the same spot. You know, they, they, if, if they hadn't won the lottery, it would have been catastrophic. I, I can't imagine where they would be right now if they would even still be in Edmonton. I don't know if people would be crossing the street to watch that team, but it's, they have to get something going in the right direction because they're just getting lapped by all these teams that were, you know, down at their level, not that, not that long ago. That's our oil spills podcast for today. You can listen to our show via iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud.